Hello anyone and everyone, I am James Sebastian, and for this episode of Mechanical Fail, Gabe and I travel to the distant year of 2016 to recount our favorite games that were released. 2016 was a surprisingly good year for games, both on the side of large studios and independent developers. Over the course of our discussion, we break down our favorite games that came out and delve a bit into what made them stand out to us. Hopefully you enjoyed these games as much as we did, and if you haven't played them yet, that you might now get the urge to. Enjoy the episode. Well, what was the what's the first one that like popped out at you? For me? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, chronologically speaking, like the first game that I really remember is The Witness because it came out late January. Yeah. It was super good. Just like stayed home from work that day. Okay, so I'd been looking forward to playing The Witness for years at that point because i've been following jonathan blow's uh blog for since like 2011 yeah like i remember in my rss reader clicking yeah let's let's follow this and yeah it was awesome he would put out updates and i remember watching the island like evolve and him hit the puzzle count slowly rise and i had no idea what i was getting into yeah because he, he they hadn't shown much and they finally showed like through the years, they showed a couple bits of doing puzzles and stuff, and I was like, "I okay, I guess that's what I'm going to play, and I'm probably going to love it. <laughs> and I stayed home when it came out and played like eight hours straight, which for me is quite a bit of gaming to do in one sitting. Yeah. And fucking just loved it. You know, I'm not really like an enormous puzzle game fan. or Yeah, but it was so much fun to play, and the I, I don't know. I don't remember if you played it or not. I did. I like you. I remember when it was announced, and I was like, "All right," because I was a huge fan of Braid. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. when I found out about that game and I played it for myself, it really like totally reshaped how I thought about games. Yeah. Um. So I was really excited for it. Unfortunately, I did not get that far into it. I really struggled with The Witness. Mm-hmm. Um, I did great through the beginning of it, no problem. Maybe the first ten puzzles or so. Okay. I was rolling. And then, I forget what it was. There was one puzzle that took me a while. The one with the branches where you got to count the branches. Yeah. That one, like, threw me for a sec. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I went to some other puzzle, like, not that far from there. And I had no idea what I was supposed to be looking for in terms of clues. Like, Mm -hmm. none whatsoever. (laughs) So, I I messed around. I tried walking around, you know, the island as far as I could go. Just trying to figure out puzzles I could actually work out. And I've just found it really hard. I don't know if it's just me not being very good at puzzle games or what. Um, I mean, I don't think your experience is that unusual. I think a lot of people... I mean, me as well. Like, I I went into the game and just had trouble... I think my initial kind of flow went pretty quickly because I did the first area mm -hmm. and then uh, did a few of, like, the branch puzzles. I didn't even finish that area the first time and then went down by the beach and did, like... That entire area. Yeah. <clears throat> that was when we activated the first laser. For us. Uh, Olin and I were playing together. Yeah. Um, but then after that point, I wandered the island. Just did not know what to do. There were so many different puzzles. Not really understanding how to get started on one. And usually it would be like, do a little bit, but then just kind of get stuck or whatever. Right. But, I mean, for me, it was, it was perseverance. I just kept pushing, pushing, and like... Um, you know, the island being so beautiful and, like, just wanting to explore it, that was super great. Right. Um, and I don't know how far you got, but there's there's one, though, like, the big reveal where you finally realize that 
there's more more things than just like the panel puzzles is amazing yeah like the way the way like you can discover it in many different ways there's one really obvious way and it's, it's even that is easier to overlook and we'd overlooked it initially and then kind of got a hint from one of our friends when we were playing he was like hey you should go to the top of the mountain and just look at that one panel and we did and we we're like yeah we know it's here it doesn't do anything <laughs> and then figured out that like the super core reveal yeah and that was amazing and just yeah i think i've done everything in the game except for the challenge which is like so kind of really a speed hard, running it? kind of bit of the game oh, okay. that's timed it's really hard yeah uh i've gotten really close to beating it i just haven't gone back and actually finished it but it's it's so great i, I want to go back and re-experience it but it's almost impossible right like it's all about learning this language yeah and not even like written or vocal or anything it's just learning through puzzles which is so so crazy that you can do that i think i think in a lot of ways it is a much more interesting game than braid was i think the reason braid was so successful was because it was a deconstruction of very familiar tropes yeah in gaming and that spoke to me a lot um and i found its premises really interesting mm-hmm. the witness was so abstract to me that i it and my kind of not I, I'm not in love with first-person games in general. Yeah. So I think for me, even though the first-person mode doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't factor that. It much. doesn't really. Well, it does, but it it it's it's not like oh, you're for. It's, it's not, not traditional first-person mechanics. Right. It's literally about just looking and experiencing. Exactly, the world, and it's beca- not about moving quickly, except for I guess the challenge. <laughs> right. So for me, it was kind of like, all right. I kind of just feel disembodied in this game. I don't know what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just found it really difficult. I, I hope to some to go back into it at some point and really delve into it. But with so many games out now that yeah. I want to play, I just haven't even... It's not like even been on my list of things like I want to go back to yet. So we'll yeah. see. I mean, you know, some people enjoy different things. For me, it was, it was way up there. I Just the kind of game I love and... You can really spend a lot of time digging into it and getting more out of it. Um, you know, I, I a lot of people would argue that, you know, there's no story or there's no progression or there's no rewards, and in some ways they're right. Right. But to me, like, getting to see more of the island, getting to see what's beyond that door or getting to go into that next area and getting to do more puzzles, like, that was really big. And then the reveal, like, the big thing that changes the game, like, that changes how you look at everything in the entire game. Right. And that's amazing because it, you know, makes you interact with the environment much more. Yeah. Which is super cool. I, I've, I can't think of a game that's done it that well. Um, yeah. I mean, I think even just the, the going from just doing the puzzles, which are pretty self-explanatory puzzles in the, like the tutorial area. Mm-hmm. And then like going to the area where you like, you like realize, Oh, these branches are telling you what the path through the puzzle is. Mm-hmm. Just even that alone was like, oh, like, right, okay, that's a huge thing. Like it's the the puzzles are not self contained to the panels, right? For most of the puzzles. which, of course, makes sense because it would get really boring yeah. and there would only be so much room to explore. But how the puzzle relates to the environment around it mm-hmm. is interesting. I mean, just shifting your mind towards thinking about those. Yeah. relationships is is a different thing than most games do um 
so in, in that sense, I think it was a really interesting experiment. Yeah. There's one particularly good puzzle. I mean, I don't know how much you care about spoilers at this point. I have none. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I'll keep it kind of high level that you... It's one of, the, like, kind of the end, more end, near the end puzzles. Um, and you basically end up doing a puzzle on a panel in order to draw yourself a physical path that you will walk on. Yes. And you have to then go and, like, redo that path and, like, draw a different path that still keeps a valid puzzle drawn out. Mm. And, like, just the interaction between those two. And then later, like, that gets reused for something else, and it's just really brilliantly done. Like, it's got all these levels that you can interact with. It's it's pretty crazy. I'll probably go back to it with a guide, honestly. Yeah, that's not a bad just idea. Just to get through it. I think I used... Like, I didn't use a guide super much. I used it for, like, a handful of things, just being like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here. Right. Um, but usually if I'd spent, like, two hours just banging my head against the wall. Yeah, I think I just didn't have the patience to do that, unfortunately. But, hey. So what do you have for your list? So, um, the first one I'll talk about, so it's kind of cheating. It is the, uh, remastered version of Gravity Rush, which came out originally for the PS Vita, um, but was remastered for the PS4, um... I actually forgot it had come out in 2016. I thought it had been the end of 2015. <laughs> but um, the reason I want to talk about it is because I finished it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just got back into it again after... I started it when I first bought it, so I was back when it was released. Yeah. Um, and then just shelved it. Like, I had a really good time with it, but I just kind of was like, eh. I just had other things. I think Dark Souls wasn't that far off, so I was going there. Um, tends to kind of derail parts of the Yeah. <laughs> so then I went back to it and I forgot how fun it is. It's a really mm-hmm. interesting game. I mean, the whole gimmick is that you can manipulate gravity. So basically you can like float in midair yeah. and then you rotate your view around. It's third person pr- perspective, but you can rotate the view around and then you basically could just like propel yourself in any direction you want. That's cool. Um, and then if you land on surfaces, you can like walk upside down and sideways and stuff. Like basically what happens is if you land on something, Mm -hmm. it will shift it so that that's now the bottom. All right. So yeah, Yeah, basically it's like it reorganizes so that's, that's upright. Um, and you have a meter, so it's timed and all this kind of stuff. I see. It's basically like a beat em up exploration game where most of the combat's kind of done in midair. That's cool though. Um. Yeah, and it's kind of got, like, a goofy story of, like, this girl who doesn't have her memory and she has this gravity power, but she doesn't know mm-hmm. why or what it is. Um, so it's kind of her discovering that and then just kind of getting wrapped up in this whole story of, like, a city that's kind of been broken apart because of these gravity shifts. Mm. Um, so you're kind of, like, piecing it back together. Um, but it's really fun. I mean, the animations are really fantastic. I was kind of just blown away by that. Um, just really fluid. And, I mean, most of the characters, there's not a whole lot of characters to it, mm-hmm. honestly. It's like, it's like the main character, Cat, is like 90% of the game. <laughs> and then, like, bystanders in the city and stuff, but, yeah, you know, they're kind of just, like, around. Um, but, I don't know, it just felt unlike any other game I've played. It was just kind of, like, it was kind of lighthearted, um, but kind of serious. The mechanics were very different from anything I'd ever played. I mean, it's very interesting to kind of rethink how orientation or just visual orientation mm-hmm. works in games because we're so used to 
a pretty specific third-person view where you're kind of like over the shoulder maybe or like directly behind the character. Is Which it you, a third-person view? Game? Yeah, it's third-person view. I would imagine because otherwise it'd be kind of disorienting. It would be really disorienting and kind of impossible to understand. Gravity like, Rush VR. <laughs> yeah, that would be like <laughs> impossible, I think. But so I mean, you have you know you basically like you walk the camera follows your character, but when you're in midair, it like completely shifts around because you, you use mm-hmm. the you can either use the with the Vita you could use the actual console itself. You would like the, you would use the gyro and the telescope, yeah. yeah. Um, the it, the PS4 version does the same thing. The controller works the same way. I don't find that to be the most useful mm-hmm. actual way to play that game. It, it's kind of helpful for some fine tuning, but I mean, generally you're going to use the analog sticks to kind of do the majority of the work. It's just yeah, it just is more comfortable, I think. Um, but it's a really interesting game. It's really linear. I mean, it's basically like kind of sandboxy like you have a bunch of like side stuff you can do but like there are some pretty clear story missions that you're supposed to go through mm-hmm. um but i don't know it was just really fun it, it was it was kind of nice to play a game where you just have a good time <laughs> for so much of it <laughs> you know where you're not like stressed out or thinking much beyond like oh this is how the mechanic works so okay yeah no that's i mean i guess that makes sense when you're saying it's kind of sandboxy like just gives you room to play. Yeah, so you can like uh, like there's one side mission I did where I was I became the maid of this character, and it's cool because like it like the side missions just kind of do a lot of sto- uh, like world building. Mm-hmm. So like in this in this case, I help this woman. She's kind of like this crotchety old lady, and you like become her maid because you're trying to raise some money, <laughs> and so you become her maid, and you do some like simple tasks for her. But then, like, there's this, like, little plot of, like, her husband goes missing. And so everyone thinks, like, she killed her husband because she's cranky. Yeah. And, like, you uncover, like, what really happened. Basically, he got lost <laughs> in this weird, like, time rift. And you find him. Ah. And they get reunited. So, like, this, you know, it's, yeah, like, yeah. all these really small it's little like moments. of life. Exactly. And I don't think you see a lot of that in, especially in Western games, you don't see that. No, in Western games, definitely not. So, it was kind of cool to say. And you can just do it at your, your own pace. You know, there's no... There's nothing really propelling you through the game other than your desire to go do something. And gravity, of course. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, everything, it's very gamey. I mean, everything's, like, plotted out for you. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, you have a map, and it's like, oh, here's this challenge, here's this submission, yeah. here's this and that. So there's a, a lot of artifice to the design of the game itself, but it doesn't feel gamey, and um, it's just kind of fun to hang out in this interesting place and explore what's going on and kind of get to know the people of that place. There's, it, I don't know. It feels very cohesive and um, it does have a, a real solid like foundation. Yeah. Um, which I think, I don't know, made it one of the, one of the most interesting games um, for me this year, for sure. That's cool. I feel like that's a pick. I didn't hear anyone talk about in like all the tops of last year. So that's cool. I wonder if that's because it was released originally for the Vita before, so it wasn't really a new game. Right. Um, but I don't think that many people played it on Vita. Right. That's all. I mean, Vita, yeah, never really sold for Vita. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how many people played it on PS4 either. I mean, they, they made a sequel to it, um, so it sold well enough, Yeah. at least in Japan, but I don't know how well it did in general. I don't think it was a huge game for a lot of people. Yeah, she definitely gave it a shot. Sounds interesting. Yeah, that's really fun. Um, let me see. I, I think, like, I grudgingly have to admit that, I'll have this as an honorable mention. I think Final Fantasy XV, I put too many hours into it 
to not talk about it. Sure. Because it had been in development hell, as we all know, for forever since before it was Final Fantasy versus 13, whatever the fuck that was going to be. I've lost track of <laughs> all. Past nine, I have no idea what happened. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you're, you're That's how far behind I am. But no, 15, like, it was supposed to be part of this whole thing with Final Fantasy 13, where they were going to release, like, several different games set in the same world, and, like, it was super, super ambitious. And, I mean, I guess in the end, they did actually release three games in that world, hmm. um, but they're all kind of more direct sequels to each other, as opposed to set in the same world and, like, related. Right. <clears throat> but 15 turned out completely different from what I would expect. I mean, the first videos I remember watching... Back in the day that had me really excited were like, you know, I had like kind of reminiscent feelings of Final Fantasy VII with like more of a steampunky feel and like a big city and things like that. I definitely got that from just what I've seen of it, yeah. Yeah, but that's not how <laughs> 15 turned out, really. Um, the other thing from those initial videos was like, it looked like I was going to be playing a Final Fantasy where the combat was Kingdom Hearts, which... To me, it was pretty cool. Like, if you could take the Kingdom Hearts formula, which is very action-oriented and, like, kind of quick-time events sometimes, but just very fun in general, and make it a little deeper, like, that sounded great. And what we got was just completely different. The story about, you know, four guys who are all really great friends on a road trip, and the world kind of falls apart, but yet they're having these, like, you know, this trek across their part, their part of the world... And you do a million side quests and get to know a lot of people. And, you know, it's extremely long and there's a lot of content. And it, at least for me, it was surprisingly compelling. Like, I don't really care for open world games most of the time. I get super mm. bored. Yeah. I haven't I haven't beaten a, an Elder Scrolls game, I think, ever. Just because I'll get off the main path and just do random stuff and recreate characters. Yeah. But I feel like this had enough drive and was just fun to play like i enjoyed the combat i i really enjoyed the hunts um writing chocobos is like just really satisfying for some reason getting around the world for me was just really fun even like there's stupid things like you have a car and you can drive around in the car and you can choose to drive or be driven but like either of those is fun because the world is beautiful and rich enough that just sitting in the back seat and watching the world pass by is actually really is it like real time yeah, like you can be driven or you can quick time, quick travel, which right. I used pretty often. Like I didn't sure. only drive, but you know, if I'm going to be driving to a new place or if I'm going somewhere that's only like a minute or two away, like I would choose to either drive myself or, or be driven just because I liked going across the world. That's interesting. Yeah. And I'd never experienced that in other open world games. Like, you know, one of my big things in games is I enjoy getting to move around in interesting ways. And Final Fantasy doesn't really have that. It's, you know, you're driving or you're running or you're on a chocobo. Like, chocobo's the most interesting way to move around. The airship. I have So the airship in 15 <laughs> is different. Yeah, I'm just saying in general, across Final Fantasy, yeah. like, once you get the airship, it's like, oh, this is, opens up everything now. It's like, right. you fundamentally changing. But I guess you're... I mean, like, when I say interesting ways to move around, I mean, like, wall running or, like, gliding oh, through the air, or, like, doing more interactive means of like locomotion i gotcha as opposed to i'm hitting a button to go forward because i'm in a car and i'm driving right or you know i'm on a chocobo and like that was the most interesting just because you can go off road and like you know on more interesting terrain yeah um but yeah I, I tend to hate open world games and i just played tons of final fantasy and 
the main story is by far a fucking mess. And, like, the game is so incomplete. As people have discovered, they've, like, clipped out of bounds in later parts of the main story in on, like, separate continents from the main continent that's actually an open world. Really? And have then run across the entire other continent to discover that, hey, you can. The engine supports it. There's actually some stuff around here. There's just... You're not supposed to be there, and there's just no content there. Oh, But strange. it was clear that, that they were trying to make more continents available for you to actually run around on. Yeah. Like, shit, maybe, maybe the airship, which you get at the very... Like, post-game. You don't even get it part of the game. You get really? it after you beat the main quest, which is... Whatever. Like, it, it's a cool thing, but, like, it's pretty gimmicky, to be honest. Hmm. And... Maybe the airship, had you been able to travel across continents, that would have been really cool. And that's yeah. the crazy part. Like, the engine supports it all. That that blows me away. They've created this amazing engine. I'm sure it's probably a pain to work with or something, because they're not, from what I hear, they're not using it for any new games. Really? Yeah. All that work to develop and others. I'm like, eh, they're just it. using Unreal 4 for everything. That's so Kingdom Hearts 3 and uh, Final Fantasy 7 remake. Like That's so interesting to me, that they would spend the time. Uh, that's square for you <laughs> true but yeah uh 15 was really fun and i feel kind of guilty about having played so much but i <laughs> it was great <laughs> yeah it's a game uh it did not appeal to me at all i mean for me final fantasy it started with seven for me as it did with so many people and then i kind of like filled in the gaps around it mm-hmm. and then by the time 10 came out i just wasn't interested anymore for whatever reason i just the character design started going in a direction i just didn't care about the stories were whatever mm-hmm. um that's funny because 10 i think for me is one of my favorites I yeah mean, but then again like there haven't really been that many it's been 10 12 13 right. and 15 and i'm and i'm not like saying that those are bad games or anything like that it's just they, they didn't appeal to me for whatever reason and so when everyone was talking about 15 coming out, like, I had no interest. Like, I yeah. just did not care at all. So, I, you know, the hype of it, of course, was such that I was like, well, I'll at least check it out. Uh, and it looked interesting, but it, like you were saying about open world games, it just, it was one of those games where it was like, I'll just spend so much time in here. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care about the story at all, so. I think it's kind of hard to care, but I know a lot of people <laughs> that really enjoy the story. That's good. Personally, I think it is potentially very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that I've played recently? There, whatever the Final Fantasy fifteen like suffers from having like a very rich world and a very and very interesting um, bad guy like the the main baddie of the game, um, and it just falls flat because they don't they don't tell the story. They even fucking had a movie and an anime. And they can't communicate their story still. Mm. Um, from what I hear, so apparently Final Fantasy games, when they come out, get a paired like book that just has a bunch of lore and information. Oh, really? I just learned this. I didn't realize that, yeah. And so 15 has one, and it's like hundreds of pages of information that are not in the game mm-hmm. that explains so much about what you play that feels like a clusterfuck. But nobody My- knows it, really? But you, I mean, you don't figure it out while you're when you're playing it. Like, right. You, you can't. Like, if you don't watch the movie, you miss out on a chunk. If you don't watch the anime, you miss out on another chunk. If you, um, shit, like if you don't read some loading screens, you miss out on some stuff. Like, there's a point where Noctis, who's the main character, 
and has all these abilities and is really powerful, he gets, he uh, starts a chapter and just like suddenly all his stuff is locked down. He can't do anything. And, and you know, the people that are with him, his buddies are like, oh, hey, let's get you to safety. We'll help you out because they know that he's been weakened in some way. Never is this explained except for in a transition that says the main baddie has somehow locked down, not even somehow, has, it just says has locked down his powers. And you're just like, what? That sounds like an important <laughs> plot point that you guys literally explained in a loading screen to chat this chapter. That is incredible. And they do that several times. That is really interesting. Yeah, it's a f- fucking mess. <laughs> oh my god. And the, the thing is, like, Having read a little bit of what this this book that tells the history of the world and everything, that actually sounds like a really compelling and interesting story. None of it is in the game. <laughs> huh. So they bit off way more than they could chew, wow. and then yeah. delivered way late, and yet it was still has tons of holes in it. Yeah. I mean, I think when you have stories of that scope... And especially if you're trying to tie it into previous entries in the series, which I think they try to do, you're going to have issues like that. You just... I mean, even though the, the early Final Fantasy games were, like, really simplistic in their storytelling, yeah. at least it was like, you knew what was going on. Yeah. Well, I feel like as time went on... <laughs> well, they got more and more complicated yeah. and more and more, like, nonsensical. Like Final Fantasy VII, I had no idea what was going on when I played it as a kid. Uh, I knew Meteor was going to crash, but I didn't yeah. know anything else. Yeah, Eris was dead, but I was like, "But is she really dead? <laughs> <laughs> How dead are we talking?" Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah, Seven was a game that I think what saved Seven in terms of its story was that its moment-to-moment storytelling was so good, right? That the it didn't really matter if the whole overarching thing made sense or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I understand. I mean, it does make sense in some way. I just think that some of the presentation is lacking. And obviously, translation issues. And Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a game I think I will comfortably observe other people play at Probably no end points and, and just kind of say, that was interesting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right, so for mine, my next choice probably actually is going to be Dragon Quest Builders. So... I am oh, nice. not a Dragon Quest fan at all. Not not that I don't like the games. I just have no experience with them whatsoever. <laughs> the only thing I know about them is that uh, Toriyama did the art for right. them, which I love. So it's they appeal to me. Dragon Ball Z games. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the art style appealed to me a, a great deal. Um, but I just loved the idea of making a, a crafting game with Toriyama characters. Like, that just yeah. seemed really interesting to me. And it's a really interesting game. It's it's more um, adventury, I think, than a lot of crafting games. It's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't feel as sandboxy because you have very clear like tasks that you're supposed to complete. You're charged with kind of rebuilding this city. Are there actual quests you have to accomplish? Uh, yeah, basically. So okay. what happens is you are you awaken in this dungeon, and then you a voice talks to you that says, "Hey, you need to rebuild this place." So, and so, and, and you, so people like don't know how to build things in this world. Just like in real life. Yeah. (laughs) But to the extreme, like they can do basically nothing. And you, for whatever reason, are granted the ability to build stuff. That's so strange, but okay. Yeah. So you escape this dungeon and then you kind of build some really basic things. 
and you start attracting people around who realize, like you, like you put up a flag, right? And people mm-hmm. are like, oh, that's interesting. So people start wandering around and you start meeting new people. And then they kind of help you gain new building abilities. And then you can teach them how to build certain things. Okay. So you're kind of like rebuilding society, essentially, what you're doing. <laughs> Um, and there's like all these ruins around. So like, it's clear that there was like this place mm-hmm. and it had this long history and all this, all this stuff. That's neat. But you know, you're kind of uncovering it as you play all the while you're collecting resources and figuring out how to use them so that you can build fireplaces and homes and kind of, you know, of course, like the obligatory, like decorative items that are useless, right. but cool <laughs> that you want. Deck out your town, pimp yeah. out your ride. Right. But, you know, you get to, you know, build new weapons. You get to learn how to, you know, craft like first you craft like a wooden sword. Yeah. Right. And then you progress into iron smithing. And I mean, I'm sure it's pretty heavily influenced by Minecraft. Yeah, it is definitely. Um, but it benefits a lot from having the framework of a Dragon Quest game, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem like it would gain much. Um, but I think what's interesting about Minecraft in comparison is Minecraft is a game that has a story, sort of. I feel like it's been shoehorned very poorly into it. Sure. Yeah, it has a story. But basically it's like, okay, you're here you go. You're on this place and survive. Yeah. And just learn about the world and just do whatever you want while you're here. Mm-hmm. Dragon Quest is very much like you have something you're supposed to do. You're tasked with something. Um, but here are all the same mechanics, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a little more rigid. I don't think you can go quite as crazy with what you can build. Yeah. Um, it's very structured. But that's kind of a requirement to fit into the Dragon Quest universe. You can't just let people build anything. Because, right. you know, you can go off the rails very quickly if you do that. And kind of break the whole uh, illusion, I guess you you could say. But I think it, it offers a very different perspective on crafting games. Yeah. Um, that you don't see done very well, I think. Uh, and it's just, it's it's also just really fun. It's, you know, it's adorable to watch and play. <laughs> All the character interactions are really fun. Um, there's kind of like these antagonistic relationships between people mm-hmm. that are kind of playful, but kind of maybe a little sinister too. So there's a lot of just... It's a very social feeling game. You know, you play it by yourself, but you know. But I don't know, you you get the sense that you're kind of... But that's something that I feel like most crafting sim games, like, are lacking, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, they're... There's, like, they added towns to Minecraft, but they're not... They're not really. They're, like, little villages or whatever, and they're... You don't interact with anyone, really. Right. And Terraria, which I think is the game I've like sandboxy game i've put the most time into or crafting game like that has people but not again they're they just end or means to an end like you you build a place for them to live in just so they can give you something and you never talk to them ever yeah i mean i think dragon quest builders has some of that to it for sure but interacting with characters in the game is is very much about um, kind of learning about what happened, like what the history of this place mm-hmm. is like. That's neat. So you get to interact with some people that are like of the different races. And, you know, they're all kind of antagonistic towards it. Like humans are kind of like singled out as being like, oh, it's all your, it's all the human's fault that this happened kind of thing. And as you help people from other races and stuff, they kind mm-hmm. of go, oh, maybe you guys aren't so terrible after all. <laughs> um, so that's kind of an interesting dynamic too. It's kind of like this weird like, 
humans may be the reason for all of our woes, but also they're kind of also the only people who can help us out of it. Which is kind of a weird, I don't know, there's some weird That's political kind of weird. parallels, yeah. I think. Um, but okay. Which are interesting sure. as well. I don't know if they're intended necessarily or not. But I, I feel like they're definitely in there. And if and if they were intentional, I think that makes it even more interesting. Yeah, that's um, true. Especially for a game that's so lighthearted kind of in its general tone. Like I said, it has some really kind of sinister underpinnings. Which, for such a playful game, I find really kind of compelling too. Nice. Yeah. So definitely recommended, for sure. And not a game like I would have expected to enjoy, but I don't yeah. know what it was. I remember just seeing the, the advertisements for it. Or I don't even know if they're ads, but just kind of like... Hey, this game's coming out, and just being like that. Yes, <laughs> sign me up for that, please. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know. Did you did you play Minecraft much or no? I have played a good chunk of Minecraft, not as much as a lot of people. But... When I f- yeah, when I first started playing it, I got really into it, yeah. and then I was just like, I can't play this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which did not happen, thankfully, because you have a story to go through. I think right, it keeps you from just being like. I, being overwhelmed with like what do I do it's like right. I could do anything I mean that's my problem with Minecraft like I, right. I like having direction which is the reason why Terraria for me is like the perfect game for that style just cause there are things there are goals to be attained there are things to be done yeah even if even if it's still extremely open yeah. right yeah. and that that I really like I I mean I have a bit of a complaint about that you more or less just have to have a wiki to explain everything to you Sure. But whatever, that's that's another place, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Alright, what else you got? Um so I technically didn't play it last year, but it came out last year. Gotcha. So I think that this I I was surprised to kind of play it and be as blown away as everyone said I was supposed to be. Okay. It doesn't usually happen. Now, this game is Inside, which is Playdead's yeah. follow-up to Limbo. Um, and I played it recently, and it was it's a short game. I think it took me maybe about four hours. Um, but it's just, I don't know, just dripping with atmosphere and mood and just is relentless with it. It does not let go. And swings from, you know, horror to just kind of loneliness and... I don't know, like, it's it's very, very interesting. Um, and visually, it's it's so striking. Like, the the graphics aren't realistic. They're, you know, very stylized. But, like, all the animations are beautiful. All the all the textures, everything is just beautiful. Um, the, the game itself is, you know, similar to Limbo. Like, a kind of platformer with some light puzzles here and there. But, you know, it's... It can be done in one continuous shot, assuming you get lucky and don't die in the parts that you're probably going to die in. But, sure. But it's very interesting. And then, I think most people talked about how crazy the ending was. Yeah, and I've heard a few things about the ending, yeah. but I don't know all the details. I, I would definitely recommend you check it out. Um, I have it, I just haven't played it yet. Yeah, I highly recommend it just because it's so short and you can play it, and I think I think you'll get a kick out of it, especially the ending. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of parts of it. To me, though, like just the mood and atmosphere put it above and beyond. Like the, it's it's this commitment to to the the feel of the game that you know you're you're the small boy in a strange world. You don't really know what you're doing, but you're going to the right <laughs> always. Yeah. And no matter what, and 
there's just so many interesting, strange things you run into. Um, a lot of people talk about the ending as, you know, they mostly talk about the ending as kind of the, the strange high point of the game. But for me, like, there's these two particular parts that you're traversing, and they stand out, I think, primarily because of the sound design. Mm. The game actually, like, some some people might say, like, oh, there's not really any music in the game, or, or you know, it's relatively light. But I would argue that, like, it is extremely um, subtle with what it does with music and sound. And so, so much so that it blurs the line between what is music and what is, like, the sound and audio of the game. Just, like, this, you know, sound effects. Yeah. Um, and so my favorite parts are parts that have really clearly integrated both of them super well. Um, one where you're kind of doing this this puzzle... And there's almost like a marching beat going, and it you like it's it's obviously like added on top, but it it almost sounds like it's just part of the level, hmm. um, and it, it it's it's super brilliant, like it's amazing. I I think it's exemplary of what that game has achieved, um, and the fact that you so seamlessly go in and out of these like different puzzles and states, um, and another part is, I don't know I. It built up the other the second part I think of like there's this really loud sound that you hear coming from far away. It's and you can hear it when you're still completing puzzles from a, a previous area. Yeah, that's interesting. And and finally, like you basically open a huge door to enter this area, and like it just suddenly gets so much louder, and you go into it, and like the sound is like really really important to what that next area is like the area with it um and it's just really interesting and just puzzling and just you know it, it integrates like storytelling and world building with amazing sound design and gameplay like all of it just comes together and that i haven't really seen games that do that so well and while none of the puzzles are super hard and the game is pretty short and it's still vague and like you don't necessarily understand everything that's going on like they they've they've kind of put together this cohesive whole that's, you know, unmatched. Like, I, I I can't think of a game that's done it so well. That's interesting. I'm really interested in the whole sound aspect. So it makes me think about, I mean, how few games really use sound design for game mechanics. Well, sound's usually, like, put in at the end, right? People don't... It's, like, one of the few things people think about. Like, when you when you're making a game, you always think about art you always think about your design and programming and usually one of those gets kind of thrown to the side because you have people who care more about the other ones right and sound isn't even listed in there yeah <laughs> yeah that's why I'm, I'm not surprised but i think it's it's a it's an aspect of games that is neglected yeah unfairly i think um I mean, Playdead kind of has a history now of using sound in a very particular way in their games. Limbo has a similar kind of style where, yeah, it's a very blurred line between kind of like diegetic audio and a score, a right. musical score. Right. Um, I don't remember the particulars of that game specifically. I haven't played it in yeah, so it's long. Been a while. I mean to go back and listen, or not listen, play it. <laughs> yeah, but like the idea of being drawn towards a sound in a game is really compelling. I'm kind of surprised it's not used more often. Um, interestingly, it, it did remind me of, of Demon Souls with the singing. 
Yeah. And this and the yelling in Latria. I oh, feel yeah. like Latria I mean, is a level that's used that uses sound very very well mm-hmm. to kind of alert you to things. But it's kind of limited to Latria. I mean, the Souls games in general do a good job of using sound, but Latria, I think, is exemplary of... Yeah, I think it's definitely a, high, a highlight of, yeah. of that kind of level design, is mm-hmm. really what it is. Yeah. Um, and it works It works incredibly well with the atmosphere, right? Like, yeah. you're in a prison, you just hear the echoes of what's going on, you're like, what, the, what is what is here? Yeah. So it's interesting in like a 2D game where you're, where you're moving in one direction... Well, it's technically like 2.5D, right? Well, like, right, but I like mean... Like, it is rendered in 3D, and there are actual moments that, although you're you're constrained to, I guess, a plane, it, the plane does curve on occasion. Oh, really? So, like... But it's it's, it's still 2D, but... Yeah, like, That's what I mean, it's like... But they do, a, they do a very good job, like, the entire presentation of the game is just, it's just wonderful. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, how that relates to the sound. Like, so you're already moving in basically one direction yeah. the whole time. Yet there's also still sound, so it's kind of like, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of geared toward just like making you feel dread. Like, okay, we're getting closer. Like, it's getting louder. Oh, I mean, especially for that one particular point. Like before, I, I mean, the when you're in that area with that sound, like it's extremely dangerous area. It's an extremely dangerous area. It's very easy to die. Yeah. And leading up to it, I was just like, I know I'm going to it because I'm going to the right, and it's getting louder when I'm over there. Yeah. And it does build up this sense of dread, like it, or anticipation, like you're, and, and it, it works very well. Like it's, you know, it's a game that's partly horror. So like that, that really works well with it. Um, and you never quite know what's going on. And it's, it's always surprising. Cool. I'll yeah. definitely have to check that one out. Yeah, definitely do it. It's really good. Nice. Yeah. Just haven't had a chance yet. It's one of those games where it's like, I knew it came out, <laughs> but it's, it's funny. Like the, this kind of rush, especially the beginning of, 2017 there's so much that's been released already and that's on the horizon that going mm. back to kind of play games through my catalog is a challenge now <laughs> it's always hard to do <laughs> cool all right let's talk about one that we both have finally played oh okay dark souls 3 of course dark souls 3 <laughs> this is the fastest game i've played of the souls games okay Took me the least amount of time to play through it, I think, in terms of, like, number of days I've spent playing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably pretty close to the fewest number of hours, too, for a first playthrough. It's not a super long game, to be honest. Like... If you don't do any of the side stuff that require you to kind of just spend some time and find NPCs and kind of just deal with them. Mm Mm-hmm. If you just plow through it like I did, it's pretty fast. Yeah. Especially if you skip some of the areas that aren't mandatory. Right. Which I did the second time through... It's kind of hard to know. I, I, I so it's interesting because it's it does kind of this blend of of world is, or like world layout compared to Dark Souls one and I guess two and Bloodborne, um, where it is one continuous world, but instead of being interconnected like Dark Souls one, it mostly has like very large separate areas. Yeah, and I and I mean large. The level each level is really in, intricate and like I, I i was blown away by the level design of each area and the and those tend to be just like large pieces that are connected to one other one or two other large parts right um and you don't really backtrack from like you know the fourth area in the game back to the first one like that it's it's mostly linear in that regard but then they 
they'll have like small forks where you'll go to an optional area. And I thought that was really interesting because when I first started playing, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. Right. So, you know, I, I would go down to, um, I was in the Farron Woods, you know, and I get to the swamp and I know that I'm going to the, to the watchers. Um, and I was like, oh, but there's this other path and I kill this mage and it leads me down to the cathedral. And I'm like, oh man, what's, what could be here? And you don't know, like, I mean, I do now because I've read so much of the lore and I understand exactly what's there, but. Back then, I had no idea. Is, is this, like, a completely different area of the game? Is it going to lead to an enormous, huge place? Well, no. The cathedral is just, like, a part you have to do to get an item to traverse past two more places later. Right. After you beat the, you know, beat a couple more bosses down the quote-unquote main path, right? Right. Um, and they do that, I think, two or three times in the game where you have that kind of fork, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, you know... It- what you mentioned about not knowing what was coming next. I feel like when I was playing Dark Souls, even though I didn't really know much about the game when I was playing it, mm-hmm. I was never really surprised by anything I encountered. Okay. Maybe the bosses a little bit. But like when I entered a new world, it was kind of like, or a new area, it was kind of like, okay, cool. This is an interesting area. I haven't been here before. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't know what to expect from like, you know, traps and which enemies I was going to see and that kind of stuff. But I wasn't, like, shocked at, like, oh, that's not what I thought this was going to be like. Whereas in 3, it was put together in a way that's kind of an interesting mix of all of the Souls games that I've played. Mm -hmm. Where you think you might be going towards something, but it turned out to be kind of a dead end. Yeah. So then you turn around, and then you go somewhere completely different. Um, That happened with, um, like, after you beat um the who's the boreal valley boss not not the dancer but the the knight who's you mean vort vort yeah once you beat vort i was kind of like okay what am i supposed to do now because like you're not really it's not really obvious no it's not i mean you get that banner and you're like okay exactly you got i got the banner i was like okay cool uh so i went back to the bonfire Uh, i mean i went back to firely shrine i was kind of like okay what am i supposed to like i just didn't know where to go even though there was nowhere else for me to right. go, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice to make. It wasn't like, I feel like in all the other Souls games, it was kind of like, okay, here's your next juncture. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep progressing. Um, and this one didn't really do that to me. It was kind of just like, oh, you can go down this road, or you can go down this road, or you can go down this road. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of options kind of all the time. Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt that way. Um Honestly, looking back at it, I'm a little disappointed by how that just turned out to be more like it felt that way, but it actually wasn't. Yes. Like, like as I filled in my mental map, I went, oh, okay, this is actually smaller. And that, that was kind of funny because it, it felt like it had all this potential and that was slowly pruned and that left me disappointed. Sure. Which which was strange just because they presented it really well and, and yet it left me disappointed. Fair enough. Um, so maybe it just didn't live up to the hype that I, <laughs> I built up in my own head. Um, but I do like I do like the the, the layout of things. Like I think they, I think just generally for a Souls game they did a good job. Um, like one of the things I really love is that you can kill the dancer, at the very start of the game. Yeah. And just go and start doing, uh, Lothric Castle and like cool. That's what we're doing now. Yeah. Mind you, you can't actually go and fight. 
the prince, the princes, until you've beaten all the other lords of Cinder. But oh, is it logged off? Yeah, you have to kill all three of them so that there's just like a key that lets you enter the grand archives. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is kind of disappointing to be honest, but that's that's fine. Okay, I guess it's important. Yeah, I think uh, I think Dark Souls 3's bosses were really really good. Not all of them. Yeah. But I think it had some of my favorite in the series by far. Yeah. I think I think The Princes is a really big highlight for me. Mm-hmm. I just thought the premise of it was really interesting. I thought the enemy design was really unique. Mm-hmm. And you're fighting this, I don't know, like half soldier who can't, he can't stand. Right. So well, he kind neither of... Neither of them can. They're right. Both- so he kind of waddles around the arena <laughs> and just like teleports around and just comes down to like basically slam you right um, from somewhere you're not looking, which is interesting. But then when the younger prince comes down and mm-hmm. like lifts his brother's body, I don't know. There was something really from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. I thought that was really unique. Yeah, and really interesting. I I loved that fight. Uh, I think it's really really. Even though it's not like the most interesting mechanically, mm-hmm. it's not that difficult to fight once you figure out what to do and how right. it works. It's mostly timing, understanding when to dodge the like. Yeah, I mean, he attack. You know, he attacks fairly slowly. Uh, predictably, he only has a few moves. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really. He the the older prince doesn't really change much in the way no. he approaches the fight at all. He's just a little stronger on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I, I thematically love like. How you you've you've killed the older prince yeah. once, and he comes and he's brought back to life by his brother, and basically to damage the younger brother, you have to keep killing the older prince. Yeah, which I think is so great. Like not not necessarily like mechanically, it's it's interesting, but like just thematically, it's really interesting that they're together and the younger prince just keeps his brother alive to protect him. Yeah, yeah, that really stood out to me um, in the series. Uh, part of it's, I think, because you have more interaction with the bosses. I mean, or not more interaction, but they express themselves more. Mm-hmm. Like in the other Souls games, like you don't know anything about them. You go in right. there, you kill them, and then you find out maybe after the fact some stuff about mm-hmm. them. Like with uh, with Quaylag in particular, right? You go in there, oh, yeah. <laughs> you go, oh, okay, this is Spider Woman I have to kill. Great. You kill her, and then only after the fact you find out, like, oh, she was protecting her sister. Yeah. Which is a great... I mean, that's a great... You always feel super guilty about it. At least yeah. I do. It's it's a great way to tell that story. Yeah. But it was interesting that they chose to kind of more directly say, like, all right, you're going to you're gonna get some exposition from yeah. these characters directly this time. Which I think... I think it... I mean, they... they I feel like they build it up pretty well. Like, the intro, they discuss each of them. And it's, it's kind of this mystery of, like, who are the Lords of Cinder? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, they did the same thing, not with the bosses, but with the NPCs in Demon Souls, which I think has the strongest cast of NPCs out of all the Souls games. It's definitely up there. Um, and, like, I love it because each loading screen, and, and the beginning of the game also, like, has these characters that you're going to meet. And they're legends, they're myths of the world. Like, people talk about these people who went into the fog back um into the kingdom and like they they're legends right so people talk about them and to you as a player it's the same way you meet someone and you're like oh my god shit i've been seeing you on screen for like 
10 hours now yeah and now i get to talk to you or like someone has talked about you or you know they mentioned you in the intro yeah and it gets built up and it's really cool that way um and i feel like the lords of cinder were done kind of similarly where each of them you get to talk to and you know get to see and get to learn about yeah well like with aldrich right there's a whole <laughs> subplot right. regarding aldrich um and i don't know if there were any other well there's a big subplot for well not huge but there's a subplot for um yorm about with uh sig meyer sig right i always forget if it's Siegfried or sig i think it's sig because Siegfried was from dark souls one um it's the other way around i can't remember <laughs> no but you know sig you can summon him to take down yorm Right. And, like, they have a backstory together. And, right. You know, and, and Yorn, like, the weapon to kill him is in the room, and Sigmar has the other one. Right. Both both of which were weapons that Yorn used to used to use. Yeah. And he he's left, and, like, pretty much to kill him, to have him killed. Um, And he, he has an interesting backstory, and, like, you can learn it even before you get to him. Like, you learn large chunks of it. Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, all of them have great things leading up to them, in my opinion. I particularly, like, obviously the big thing with Aldrich is, oh, we're in Orlando again, but like, right, right. I love just everyone talking about how they just fed Gwendolyn to Aldrich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that raises a lot of questions, but yeah. I mean, that that's the implication, right? Because he looks like him. Yeah. The music is Well, and he's the devourer of, of gods. The, right. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it doesn't really bother me that they decided to make some very um, definitive claims in the game mm-hmm. with three. Even though How they, mean? well, like so, in if in Dark Souls you can kill Gwendolyn yourself, right? Mm, right. This would contradict. Oh, in terms of, yeah. Story three would contradict your could have contradicted your game if you found Gwendolyn and killed him. Right. Um, that doesn't really bother me because it's. Well, part of the thing is also about all the cycles. Like, things are right. very cyclic, and, like, there's different worlds. Each player is supposedly experiencing their own world of Lordran right. from the first game. Right. That's why it doesn't really bother me. It, it, but it's interesting that they, like, very definitively said, like, nope, this is what happened yeah. in this version. This is this is what's going on. Um, I don't think it paid off in every regard, but um, I think... What they did include makes up for it. So, for instance, like Andre, right? Mm-hmm. Another moment I thought was really powerful was when you go to Anne Orlando and you, if you find the coal of the giant, yeah, there and bring it back to Andre, he know he knew that giant. He knew the giant. I think that's an interesting touch. You get to see. I don't know. You get to kind of just infer what happened there. Like, how did they know each other? Why is it mm-hmm. because they're blacksmiths? Is just like because you don't know anything about Andre other than he sits in the. Well, and then perish and makes stuff for you. He's clearly also special in some way because he's been around for so long. Right, exactly. Like that that was a lot of the original theories back in the Dark Souls 1 days were that he would have been he might have been the son's firstborn or like mm. related to him in some way. So like he he seems more godly than not, right? Like that he's been around for so long. Yeah. It's interesting cuz like if you go mm. to the the in Dark Souls when you go to the Moonlight Butterfly fight, mm-hmm. you can go up to a thing and you can get an ember there. And it from looks it, just like And Andre. it looks just like Andre. Yeah. But he's dead. Yeah. Or 
stone. That, yeah, whatever. Petrified. Yeah. So they never really explained it. No, they don't explain it at all. I don't think so. No. It's kind of just like, oh, all right. So there's some blacksmiths. It's like, are they a race of blacksmiths? Like, what exactly is going yeah, on? Are they human? Question, actually, like, what is going on there? Yeah. Uh, well, he's Andre of Astora. Yeah. And I mean, we know other people from Astora as well, like right. Solaire. Yeah. And then in Dark Souls uh, Three, you get to meet. Uh, oh shoot. Oh, uh, what's Henry? <laughs> yeah. What's his her name? Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that they kind of chose to be a little more direct with some of the storytelling, but also still really obscure in, yeah. in other points. Um, I do think, like Demon's Souls, I think Dark Souls 3 probably has the best NPC cast. I think it's it's okay. It's not great. It's mixed. That's interesting. I, I found it to be really interesting. Uh, Yol, I found it to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, they kind of replay a few of them, right? Siegfried... Right. Uh, is back, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, that didn't really bother me. I just, it's kind of interesting. I do think his story is a little more interesting in in 3 than it was in 1. I did not advance it very far. I met him the first time, got him up to the fight when yeah. you first meet him, and then I don't. I didn't ever find him again. I see. I mean, he was more or less like you trying to make his way to Yorn to take him down. Yeah. Overall, though, I mean, from a mechanical standpoint, I think it's... It was rock solid. Oh yeah, I mean, I like to call it the best hits of Dark or of Souls games. Like they took the best stuff from one, some of the good things from two, and some great things from three, and added a few like twists. And I don't know, I think it's great. Yeah, the gameplay feels really solid. Right, it's a little more responsive, so it's a little more bloodborne in that regard, mm-hmm. but not so much that you're just dashing around the place. Right. Um, I mean, I think... you, you, shields are still viable, right? Yeah. But dodging is more viable, too. Yeah. Or I should say, it, the, the learning curve for it is not as steep. Right. It's a lot. It seems a lot more forgiving. Like the, it's like Bloodborne in that there's a lot of iframes in your role. Yeah. Uh, I thought the weapons were good. Some repeats, but um, some really interesting new additions. I liked the idea of... Um, like the dual wielding weapons. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I loved the way they were implemented for every one of them. Because they're kind of like one thing. They they they're, they don't act independently like you could. Yeah. But I think I prefer them acting together. Like I really enjoy Bloodborne's weapon system. Probably the best out of any of the games. Just because I like how unique each weapon is. Yeah. I mean it's the smallest number of possible weapons. So they're, the, they're very different from each other for the most right. part. But the but each weapon also has like a pretty diverse move set. Yeah. And obviously the the they transform, right? Right. And I love that part of Adam. So I think that's part of the reason why I like the two handed weapons in three more than how they were done in two. Yeah, fair enough. One thing I did not do at all really in three was the focus. Like the weapon arts. Yeah. I barely ever I don't think I actually ever used them, like, like I think in, except for just screwing around. Like, I think conceptually they were interesting, but yeah, they're, you don't really have to use them, and m- many weapons, like, they're very, very situational, yeah. right? Like, you either have a weapon that you know is part of your build and you know when to use it, or you just never touch it. Right. That was me for the most part. Yeah. Because I think in my first playthrough I used the twin scimitars. Okay. Like, it's one of the starting weapons. Yeah, yeah. Which is... A viable weapon through the whole game, actually. I mean, most weapons are, right? Yeah, I mean, you can upgrade it, no problem. Uh, I, I do like the uh, gems, the gem infusion. 
I think that was a nice yeah. addition. And that was taken from two. Like, I think that was an improvement over one system. Yeah. One was, like, uh, easy to understand. It was simple. Yeah. You had um, regular upgrading, then you could well, do some kind of... I guess then, for some definition, it's simple. It was definitely simple, simpler than Demon Souls, which is, I think, where they came from, and then... Yeah. Demon Souls was confusing... Well, like, some weapons could be upgraded to some different tiers only at certain levels, and right. like, that got really confusing. So, right. yeah, and it won, Dark Souls 1 definitely simplified that. Yeah. Whereas 3, you had two forms of upgrading. You could upgrade just standard. Yeah. You give them Titanite shards and chunks and stuff, and you just get a better version mm-hmm. of that weapon. But then you can infuse it with gems, and the type of gems you use can change its properties, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I loved... I think for the scimitars, I use sharp. Yeah. So that worked really well because that made them... Dexterity scaling, right? Exactly. So that made them very, very effective weapons. Yeah. Um, but it would have been cool to experiment with other ones, too. I just never really got around to it. I mean, there was a good good slew of weapons. I mean, I, I, like you, I stuck to one weapon for the most part. I was used the Karthus Curve Sword, which was really great for me. I mean, it, it was a very strong dex weapon early on. Um, I feel like Dark Souls 3 was the first game that, from the beginning, Dexterity was actually a really viable build. Like, viable for builds, whereas in other games, it had to be, like, patched in later. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Um, I mean, but, I like Dex builds in general just because I like dodging a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't, I've never really thought about it that much, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, Dex was definitely an easy way to go right into the game, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but speaking of the gems, like, I think it... It's definitely an improvement over Dark Souls 1, and I, I, I like it a lot more. But my favorite system is still Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like being able to slot in and out, slot things in and out, you know, and maybe have a few different configurations or a few different weapons. Like, yeah. I, I feel like it made it pretty interesting and focused on the upgrades you could give your weapons as opposed to, like, having the right upgrade path for your weapon. I think that plays well into how good they are at crafting their worlds because you are at the workshop. Yeah. So it makes sense that you'd be able to swap stuff in and out. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Souls games, you have to go to a blacksmith to do the smithing <laughs> for you. So it, you would not be able to just be like, oh, hey, do this yeah. and do that. I, I think that's a very small detail. Well, in Dark Souls 1, you could level up weapons at bonfires. If you got the tool, yes. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But no, I, I definitely like the idea of having to go to a particular place to do that. Yeah, I, th- I think, like I said, I think it's a small detail, but it's very, very effective in kind of grounding the, the mm-hmm. world there in, in, in a way that, you know, is not the most convenient for players. Yeah. But that doesn't detract from the from the feel of the game, I think. So. I'm trying to remember so in shoot in Dark Souls two, when did you get the ability to teleport to bonfires? Instantly, it's always. It's always from the beginning. Gosh, I haven't played two in so long. As soon as you find any, you can warp to them. Yeah. Oh right, and then you get the that's right. So you get homeward bones to get back to whatever last one you rested. But in. then you also get the feather to take you for infinite. Like after you beat the dragon airy, you get. A feather that just lets you teleport or like go back to your previous bonfire for free. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. I like teleporting is one of those mechanisms that I think I will always just miss 
Dark Souls 1 the way it did it. And I think it just it just leads itself to you memorizing the world better. Um, and 3, from the very get-go, like it literally has you teleport from Firelink Shrine to the first real area. Yes, and it does. I, 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 you know, I'm not... I think it, it works okay, but like I think of my memories... Like, if I think about Dark Souls 3, and if you were forced to run around until a certain part of the game, that then you could bonfire places, like, that sounds like a chore. Whereas in Dark Souls 1, I'm just like, yeah, that's how it is. And there's tons of convenient shortcuts. Like, I, I really miss that. Uh, I presumably, I don't, I don't, I doubt that from, if they make another Soul-style game, they're going to go back to that. But I don't know. I just, it's just something I miss, and I wish had been brought back for Dark Souls 3. You know, I'm kind of mixed. So, with Demon Souls, right, you could warp, but the warp points were pretty far uh, apart from each other because mm-hmm. they were only after bosses. Right. There were no other rest points. So, the shortcuts are great because they make the levels a lot shorter from right. point to point where you, the uh, archstones. Um, I think... Dark Souls 3 kind of tried to mimic that, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was quite as successful. I mean, you get funny bits where, like, you just killed the boss, so there's a bonfire there, and then you go and you enter your area. I'm thinking specifically when you kill the dragon armor, or dragon knight armor, I forget what it's called. But you, you beat that boss, so there's a bonfire right there, and you go to the entrance of the Grand Archives, and there's a bonfire right, right there, there, yeah, 20 feet away. Yeah. And, like, it's just the way the, the areas are set up, right? Because, you know, it's there's always a bonfire at the entrance to a new area. There's always a bonfire at a boss. There's usually a little more room between them. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's kind of funny. Yeah, there are a few instances where they're, like, right next to each other and you're like... But speaking of the Grand Archives, that one bonfire feeds the entire place. It's yeah. amazing level design with the shortcuts and, like, everything you unlock. I was so blown away when I went to do it because I, I actually, like kind of put the game on hiatus for a while because I was doing other things right when I beat Lothar Castle and or like right before fighting that dragon knight I think um and yeah doing the grand archives like that was so so incredible I th- I think just the, the entire castle and the archives like that's just the highlight of the game for me in terms of level design yeah um it's funny I I I remember being kind of frustrated by it because I, I remember, like, you know how you can raise and lower the walking paths? I remember thinking I knew what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And it turns out, no, you don't have to do that at all, actually. <laughs> that was kind of, kind of bummed me out, actually. Um, instead, you have to wade through that, the mud past the giants and kind of run up. Right. Um, that was, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's good that they kind of, uh, I don't know, caught me off guard with what I expected versus what I actually got Mm -hmm. out of the game. But it kind of was a little bummer not to be like, oh, I knew what you were going to do, you know, (laughs) to guess ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Because once you've played one Souls game, you kind of start doing that with the other ones. Right. There are tropes and you start to recognize them and you, and you, you get to play this kind of meta game of like, okay, what is the game going to do? And how's it going to try to trick me this time? Yeah. Um, and when it's not as cool as you think it's going to be, sometimes you're kind of like, eh, that's that. <laughs> all right. 
No, I think you're right. Yeah. But overall, it was a really good experience. I, I think, um, like I said, I played it. I think I finished it in like five days. Wow. Or six days, maybe something like that. Like it quickly, very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Playing, you know, just when I was off work and stuff. Um, one of the easier Souls games, too, I think, for sure. Or it might just be that you've already, you had already played four of them by that point. Oh, that's true. I mean, <laughs> I definitely had a lot of experience going into it. So if it had been my first one, it would have been very, very hard. But I think the only boss that I felt was really hard was the Pontiff. Oh, yeah. He is That's the only intense. boss I summoned for uh, NPCs. Yeah. Because I... I mean, he's also much easier when you have someone helping you. Oh, yeah. Like, consider, like some bosses get harder, in my opinion, with summons. Some bosses are considerably easier, and he's one that's just way, way easier with a summon. Yeah. Unlike the Dancer, where, in my opinion, you should just fight her one-on-one. The Dancer was really challenging, actually, yeah. The Dancer was challenging, and then I, like, learned how to fight her. And it was one of the better things, because I, I had... It took me a long time. I had summoned four people, like I'd helped them, oh, and okay. I'd also summoned a few people to help me, and everyone had lost. Everyone just died. Really? And then I was like, you know what, fuck it. And then I just ran in and did it, and killed her on my first shot. Really? At, like, when I went to do it alone, after trying to help people, like, ten times, and then trying to have people help me, like, four or five times. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. And it, I think it was just at that point, I had, when I was summoning other people, I'd had enough of them... Enough of the times they died on me, and then it was just me fighting, mm-hmm. and I just learned her patterns by myself, except for by that point, she had so much health because I'd summoned two other people. Right. That <laughs> it was just so much easier to do it by myself. Yeah, fair enough. I think it was just, for me, it was just going in and just fighting her over and over and over again until I figured out how to dodge yeah. some of the more challenging attacks. Yeah. Um, well, and part of it is like, and, and I think this is one of the great things about Souls games, you pretty much have to just stay close to most bosses. Like... In three, yeah. I think in three, it's especially true. Maybe, maybe it's the influence of Bloodborne, where you always want to dodge towards, like yes. So in, for the most part, in yeah. three, like with the dancers specifically, but with a lot of other bosses, like you want to be right there, like an arm's width from your from your opponent, and whatever they throw down at you, you just roll right through it. Yep. There are a few exceptions to that, but for the most part, you're right. You do want to play really close. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the other ones. I don't know, there's a lot of enemies that have tails and stuff, so you can kind mm-hmm. of be at a distance. Yeah. Um, use kind of some longer reaching weapons. Yeah. If you really have to. Or and like block the few attacks that'll come at you and you, you weren't like just out of range or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's a game where I didn't block a whole lot. I did a lot of dodging versus in the first Souls game I played I oh, used yeah. a shield. I mean a ton. Demon Souls and Dark Souls I was just behind a shield. <laughs> right. But by the time it was three, I was like, no, I'm just going to dodge everything because it's just yeah. faster. It was good. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I think it's not going to be remembered as well. I don't think so either. It wasn't Which revolutionary, kind of a... right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of bums me out. I think it's better than that, but hey. If it were the only game in the, Soul series, in the Dark Souls trilogy, it would be heralded as this amazing piece yeah. But because it's got that legacy, and also, you know, not to mention Dark Demon Souls and Bloodborne, which obviously had a big influence, like, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting this year in 2017, like, they're putting out Dark Souls 3 DLC, but there's no real 
Souls game coming out for the first time in a long time. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. It'll yeah. be interesting. They had, they'd had a cadence. There's going to be kind of a weird void. Yeah. Well, that's being filled by other games, but... <laughs> a void from, for, from software. Right. So we'll see what they put out next. Nice. All right. I think I think I'll do one more. Yep, sounds good. Because uh, I have to talk about this game just because it it sits in my head, and I've only played through it once, and I'm gonna do it again because it deserves it. Um, you know, I, I have on my list here like a few other games like Overwatch, which I put a lot of hours into, and it's the first real like kind of semi-competitive game that I've really gotten into, like tried to learn how to play better, but. You know, as much time as I put into it, it, it's not like my style of game. I have a particular style of game I really enjoy. Um, and I think Ori and the Blind Forest, which technically didn't come out last year, but, you know, I played last year and had a really great time of it. Like, that's closer to what I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just made so well and it's super polished. But there's there's like a few things that it lacks. And I think Hyper Light Drifter is the one that really like exempt, like, shows off these things that, for me, make a really good game. Gotcha. So, like, Hyper Light Drifter, I, I still think about it all the time when I think of a game I want to make. And this is something I think about a lot, like, a game that I really want to pour my time into. Um, and it, it strikes so many chords with me. I think the the biggest thing that I'll bring up just to start off with is the music. Um, I mean, Disaster Piece did it, not unlike Fez. Um, and it's very, like, full of ambiance and atmosphere and mood and there's you know there's a lot of it and it it works with all the levels and all the bosses and all the areas um it's just beautifully done and it sets the tone for the entire game even like starting from the trailer which i remember watching and you know just immediately being engrossed by the visuals and the the sound and the music um to the very end of the game and it all just kind of comes together but hyperlectors were like not unlike Inside, it at least for me, like it has this ambience and mood. It has no text in the game except for if you do like a lot of side stuff, you get like a little bit of text near the end that talks about some of the world. Oh. But otherwise, it's like the story and the whole world building happens visually, like just from walking around exploring, or with like a few pictographs. Like you'll you'll talk to some people and they'll have like. Um, you know, three small blurbs with pictures that say, hey, this is this is what I am telling you. Like, I'm telling you a story of this thing. It's just three pictures or something. Um, <clears throat> and otherwise, everything's just communicated, you know, visually. Like, the shops that you go to, it's just here's how much it costs, and here's a picture of what it does. Like, shows a little animation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. Like, it's just really, like, it's my style of gameplay. Like, it's top-down Zelda format. Um, but very, very um, fluid. Um, and combat is, I mean, it's, I would argue it's a lot like a Souls game or like maybe like an action game like Devil May Cry. Not not to such depth, I would say, but equally fun. You can, da- I mean, it's called Hyper Light Drifter. You can dash around a whole bunch. Um, you have a sword that you fight with. You have a gun. You have different guns. You can swap out. Like, it's it's really, really good, the combat. And the different parts of the world all have, like, really good visual storytelling with things you encounter in the environment, the enemies themselves and their design, um, the bosses, obviously. 
everything everything tells a story of the world and beyond that there's like kind of the underlying story of what's really going on and that's kind of i mean it, it is vague and it's left up to the to the readers and i remember after beating it just sitting down and reading theory after theory <laughs> um but yeah hyper life drifter was just really great and i still can't get it out of my head mainly for the music honestly but you know just for kind of the whole package nice that's another game that i was very excited to play it came out i didn't play it um <laughs> i the only my experience with it only was a demo um there was a demo we played a demo back at day of the devs oh like that's three right three years ago yeah that was a while ago now quite a while ago um which is weird to think, because the game also had a Kickstarter before that, so it's yeah. been in development for a while. Right. But uh, the demo didn't really blow me away. I think it was probably still pretty rough at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it I mean, was interesting. I think, I think it showed off some of like the early stuff, just like, here's what combat will look like, more or less. Yeah. Here's a, here's a small level. But, I mean, I think part of the richness of the game is the world, where you get to explore this large world and get to, you know find all its nooks and crannies of I mean, which there are a lot yeah i mean i think even early on in that demo you saw how much time had been spent kind of representing the world to the mm-hmm. player um that came across immediately uh so i'm excited to kind of go back in and, and take a look because i think there's this new wave of games sort of in the i would put them in like the hybrid between like souls and diablo <laughs> where there's okay. like there's like a lot of loot the neos of the world <laughs> yeah there's like a lot of loot action plus you know very like uh oh shoot how do you say it? like um purposeful combat yeah purposeful <laughs> but like uh you know where you have to watch for you know the the telegraphing of yeah, attacks right you know and then you have to learn patterns and you know right. figure out how to best overcome certain enemies and what their weaknesses are and that mm-hmm. this and that kind of thing um i think that and that's kind of what i mean when i talk about souls as combat and hyper light drifter yeah yeah i mean that goes back to zelda games i mean that, that's it, true that's i've not... always considered dark souls zelda to zelda for grown-ups like. right <laughs> i mean it is it is largely like that they're, you know they're a little more uh you can kind of brute force your way through, or there's multiple ways to tackle, mm-hmm. you know, enemies and bosses. Um, I, I don't know how much of that goes in the hybrid drifter. I mean, obviously with the 2D game, you're limited. Right. And you lose some of it. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think the biggest parts are knowing when to strike, but otherwise it's not, it's in some ways it's more punishing and in some ways it's less. I think it's more in that the game's a lot faster because your movement options are are larger um and also the you don't have to commit to your attacks as much as you do in souls like if you think about souls like there's very weighty combat right and i mean it it makes for a great game um hyper light drifter you know the everything's very much more quick much more well not more fluid but just much quicker so as a result, things are much faster, faster paced. Like you do a quick swing, you do a quick shot with your gun. Um, but what's interesting is the ammo. Like your gun only has six shots for the standard pistol, and then you're out of ammo. So what do you do? You have to hit enemies with your sword to regain ammo. Like it's kind of an odd concept, but like it just means that if you're fighting a boss, you have to you have to go in and hit them. You can't just shoot them with a the gun all day. Right. Um, 
which I think is a pretty neat mechanic for like being so simple, right? That reminds me of Doom, the new Doom. Yeah. Where your health has to be won kind of by getting in close with mm-hmm. enemies and beating them kind of hand to hand. Or is that ammo? I forget how it works. It's, it's yeah, you can get health from You can get health you can get health you get, them, get the enemy low and run in and like do yeah. do like a melee finisher. So kind of it kind of uh encourages certain types of play mm-hmm. so that you can keep your stock of supplies and health and all that stuff up. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that this game I mean I don't know when Doom went into development, but I mean I, I assume Doom I mean, I didn't say anything about it since, like, until mid or mid last year. Or so. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, are those they, they? You know, maybe it's just like that's where the industry is going now. Where yeah, it's like that, that's kind you got to trade off thinking, kind yeah. of attack attack methods because you're you know you're limited, um, and you have to engage in a certain type of combat to get back you know the safer option mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so it's interesting. Those two very different games, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Kind of share a, a similar uh, mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely interested. Again, <laughs> one of these days after getting through Neo and Gravity Rush Two and Berserk, and <laughs> all right, so next year. What's the other game that's coming out that I want really bad? 2017 is just loaded. It's not fair. Uh, I I'm sure I have an equally long list. I just haven't thought about it in a while. And probably, I mean, 2016 had a lot of big, uh, you know, big developer commercial games, right? Mm-hmm. A lot. Yeah. But I feel like it also had a lot of indie games. Oh, yeah. It that were totally like, did. That were huge. Yeah, I think 2016 was a super great year for games. Like, yeah. There was so much to play yeah. for everybody, really. Yeah. It's unfortunate that out of all those games released, I got to like five. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true, because I played... Uh, just quickly, Odin Sphere, Lycrosphere, which was the re-release of a PS2 yeah. VanillaWare game. Um, you know, they revamped it. They, you know, improved the visuals. Mm-hmm. They changed how the game works mechanically to make it a little simpler, mm-hmm. a little smoother. Um, you can play in the old style, which I love. They were really, really brilliant in saying like, all right, if you like the old game, play the old game. It looks better and it doesn't have huge frame drops like it did you know, on yeah. PS2. But you can just go ahead and play like it was originally made, basically. Yeah. I love that. And then on top of that, they said, we reworked all this because we thought maybe you'd like this, too. <laughs> and like, that to me is like, that's if you're going to re-release great. a yeah. game, that's how you do that's it. That's the way to do it. Um, I, I love that. Um, so just, yeah. I didn't play all the way through it just because I've already played it on the PS2. Mm-hmm. And I got it more to say, like, hey, Vanillaware, thank you very much. More than I ne- needed to play it again. <laughs> but if you haven't played it, yeah, very I highly recommend. I've it heard it lots of really good things. Beautiful, and, and then Vanillaware course, just is known for making beautiful, beautiful games. Oh yeah, I mean they're like the only developer still doing two D art like that. Yeah, I mean no one even comes close to the quality, mm-hmm. the amount, and just <laughs> how much detail there is. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, um, I'm really excited for their new game too, but it'll be a little while. And then of course the Last Guardian, which we'll just. I'll just talk about briefly oh, since yeah. you haven't played it, but um, soon, soon I will. I mean, it's funny. All I can really say, without spoiling anything, not even with spoiling. I mean, I don't know. Maybe 
for me, I wasn't surprised by the story too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a few interesting twists. Uh, one really kind of shocking twist that I'm surprised I didn't pick up on earlier. Yeah. But That's when it I've was revealed, hearing. I was yeah. like, oh my god, that that was a fantastic moment. I mean, the game the game moment to moment is is pretty standard. I mean, there's no real surprise. You're basically navigating and trying to escape a castle. Mm-hmm. With a huge beast that you have to learn how to communicate you with. You know, standard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> For a Nueda game, I would say that's standard fare. That's um, true, actually. <laughs> they just took Eco and combined it with Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> yes, it's definitely more on the Eco side. I mean, no doubt about it. Yeah. It's, it's very much a, a game about you interacting with an AI and the AI trying to trick you into thinking it's not artificial. That's really what it yeah. comes down to. Um it does a very convincing job, aside from a couple of key areas, which were... there. So the puzzles are not difficult to solve, mm-hmm. really. The issue is either being ready for when Trico decides he's going to act. Yeah. Or getting him to do what you need him to do. <laughs> and, so the and, problem is Trico. And it's designed that way on purpose. It's right. supposed to be frustrating. And I think that's a lot of people complained about. I mean, that's probably going to be a big turnoff for a lot of people. That and I was surprised. I mean, a lot of people were saying like, "Oh, like the like the running, the boys running is kind of weird." And I was like, "Yeah, of course it is." Like, I don't. What did you think it was going to be like? Because um, it's kind of slow. It's kind of weighty. You you take time to build up your momentum. Like yeah. you don't just run out of the gate immediately. Like you kind of like jog a couple steps and then you mm-hmm. finally start running. Um, but it doesn't. It feels perfectly natural to me. You, I mean, I at least from playing Shadow of the Colossus, like that sounds, that sounds accurate. Like exactly, yeah. I mean, like if you're familiar with the way to games, yeah, it's not a surprise. Okay, if you're not coming from that tradition of games, I can see why it'd be frustrating. Well, I would be surprised that I feel like only people who have played another Team Eco game would actually play the last guardian i mean i unfortunately for them from a sales perspective that's probably true yeah um i think what what i found most interesting about people talking about the game was they were frustrated by the movement and a few of the ai things but to complain about that's like to me completely missing the point of the game the point is you're not in control of mm-hmm. the situation you're trying to gain some control over what's going on and figure your way through this place that you right. don't know anything about. But you're not in control, really. And it's conveyed beautifully through the mechanics of it. And for people to just completely not pick up on that is amazing to me. I don't understand how that happens. Um, Some people play Call of Duty. I don't even know if it's that. It just, <laughs> it just makes me really kind of upset because it's like... there. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe people just expect games to to kind of do what they want them to do and they're not mm-hmm. really willing to engage with a game that does what it wants to do at times mm-hmm. um, which is you know that's fine if that's you know people play games for different reasons yeah um i i just think that they're missing out on something really interesting and unique by kind of ignoring that whole aspect of it i mean i would agree i, I haven't played the game but i'm sure i'll probably end up agreeing with you I'll, prob- I'll probably complain more about the controls and things, but I, I think 
I think I'll be able to look past it. It's certainly we'll not it's certainly not perfect. I mean, there's no doubt about there are some issues that you're like, mm, I think that's just not supposed to be like that. <laughs> um, that's going to happen. I mean, it's a it's a very complicated game mm-hmm. and I can only imagine. I mean, I assume part of the reason it was delayed for so long was just getting the AI to work mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Probably took them forever. Yeah. I mean, and they've had good AI developers yeah, since for a while. Since Eco, I mean, that game was complicated to do. But I'm sure, I'm sure, like the development issues, like it was more than just the actual developing the game. Oh, I, I'm sure it was multifaceted. I'm just saying, I can imagine the AI specifically yeah. from the development perspective being extremely difficult to implement. And I think they did a remarkable job. And for that alone, I think it's worth playing. So. Definitely a thumbs up for me. I think it was... While I was playing it, I, I felt like the most amazing game I've ever played. Mm-hmm. It didn't have the lasting impression on me that Shadow of the Colossus did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to say why that is. I mean, I played Shadow of the Colossus. That was like one of the first games I played after I'd come back into gaming. Yeah. After not playing for like eight years. So that was... A, I mean, just... I didn't even know games could do anything like that before mm-hmm. that. So now that I have that kind of expectation, sure. It's, it's yeah. not it's not going to completely completely surprise me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's possible if you've been playing games consistently for a long time that you'll be truly surprised by much of anything anymore. VR maybe was one thing where you're like, oh, okay, I didn't, right. that's a whole new realm. I mean, it's the rare thing that does surprise, right? Like yeah. something done particularly well or something completely new right but if you have not played a new way game at all i think it will genuinely surprise you mm. a lot uh and even for people who have not played those games i would recommend because there's no it's not like oh you're i'm better at the last guardian because i was good at child of the colossus or eco right no it doesn't that, that doesn't matter doesn't which is transfer. really exactly it, i mean it, <laughs> it, it really doesn't i mean a little bit with the gripping mechanics on the fur and stuff like that, yes, yeah, but it's not necessary to have any pre, you know, pre knowledge of that how it yeah. works. It, it's very intuitive. Um, so I, I definitely think it's a game that you know people interested in games should play. So I'm in, I'm really interested in your thoughts once yeah. you get a chance to play. Definitely. So those are the games that stood out to us most for 2016. It surprised me a bit to find out that out of our lists, Gabe and I had only both played two of the games we talked about, a testament to the quality of what was available that year. Fortunately and unfortunately, we'll probably have an even greater difficulty in deciding what our favorites were for 2017. Look forward to our decision sometime in 2020. A special thank you is in order to Salem's Bend for the use of their killer riffs on this episode's intro and outro. You can find more of my stuff at the usual place at jmsebastian.tumblr.com or on Twitter at jsebastiangames. You can check out what Gabe is up to on Twitter at Mistalice, as well as his website, gabem.me. Thanks for listening.